This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Today is Tuesday, November 17th, 2020. On this day in 1878, anarchist Giovanni Passanante attempted to assassinate King Umberto I of Italy. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a Spotify original from Parcast. Today we're covering Giovanni Passanante's attempted assassination of King Umberto I and the tragic fallout that followed. Let's go back to Naples on November 17, 1878. Thirty-four-year-old King Umberto and his 27-year-old queen, Margarita, rode through the cobblestone streets for a grand parade. The royal couple had undertaken a tour through Italy's major cities to meet their subjects. Their horse-drawn carriage had an open top. It helped them form a closer connection with their people. However, it also left them vulnerable to people who wanted to do more than smile and wave. Umberto had ascended to the throne in January of that year, when his father, Victor Emmanuel II, passed away. Despite having only been in power for 10 months, Umberto's reign was already contentious. Liberal-minded Italian thinkers despised the new monarch for his staunch conservatism, militarism, and imperialism. Anarchists in particular harbored a deep resentment for King Umberto as he embodied so much of what they thought was wrong with the world. One anarchist in Naples that day was no longer satisfied with merely speaking out against the monarchy. 29-year-old Giovanni Passanante was determined to take matters into his own hands. Born in Salvia in the territory of Naples, Passanante spent his formative years working for the family of a left-leaning captain of the Bourbon Army. It's likely that the time he spent there helped cement his leftist politics. After the captain died, his widow sent Passanante to school, where he quickly established a reputation as a hothead with radical ideas. He wrote a paper proposing a new form of government so inflammatory it got him expelled. A professor later wrote of Passanante, he was a fool, a blind instrument, and such a one that when anybody had known how to rouse and had succeeded in rousing his fanaticism, he would promise to achieve any undertaking. Little did that professor know just what kind of undertaking Passanante would later attempt. After being kicked out of school, Passanante took to hanging out around a National Guard post, where he further honed his liberal ideals. 
In May of 1870, 21-year-old Passanante was caught papering the city of Salerno with an anti-monarchist manifesto. After serving two months in prison, he frequented local socialist societies. He even penned a 72-article proposal to entirely overhaul Italian politics. Furthermore, after attending an evangelical school, he took to carrying a Bible around and claiming that sacrificing one's life for the greater good was a worthy celebration of Christ himself. During this period, Passanante said on multiple occasions that he could kill King Umberto. By his thinking, kings shouldn't exist in the first place. On November 17, 1878, he finally had his chance to rid Italy of what he saw as its scourge. As the royal carriage rolled down Largo della Carriera Grande, Passanante approached and jumped onto the running board on the side of the carriage. He pulled a small box-cutting knife from a red handkerchief which read, Death to the King. The queen screamed when she saw the blade gleaming in the sunlight. Italian Prime Minister Benedetto Cairoli was also in the carriage and moved to defend the king, getting himself stabbed in the thigh for his trouble. King Umberto himself fought back against Passanante. He swung his sword at his attacker, sustaining a cut on his arm in the process. Even Queen Margarita did her utmost to defend her husband. Though all she had was a bouquet of flowers, she hit Passanante over the head with it over and over again. After much chaos and confusion, the police finally subdued Passanante and arrested him. However, the ordeal was far from over. Fate had more darkness in store both for King Umberto and his would-be assassin. Coming up, the aftermath of Giovanni Passanante's assassination attempt and King Umberto's calamitous fate. Listeners, here's a new show I can't wait for you to check out. When it comes to love, every story is unique. Some play out like fairy tales, seemingly meant to be. Others defy the odds to achieve happily ever after. In Our Love Story, the newest Spotify original from Parcast, you'll discover the many pathways to love, as told by the actual couples who found them. Every Tuesday, Our Love Story celebrates the ups, downs, and pivotal moments that turn complete strangers into perfect pairs. Each episode offers an intimate glimpse inside a real-life romance, with couples recounting the highlights and hardships that define their love. Whether it's a chance encounter, a former friendship, or even a former enemy, our love story proves that love can begin and blossom in the most unexpected ways. Follow Our Love Story free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details.
Now, back to the story. On November 17, 1878, anarchist Giovanni Passanante failed to assassinate King Umberto I of Italy. He was immediately captured by police and thrown in prison. There, he was brutally tortured in the hopes that he would confess to being part of a larger conspiracy to murder the king. Perhaps the authorities didn't want to admit that a lone attacker had so nearly killed their ruler, or maybe they simply couldn't believe it. However, even under extreme duress, Passanante maintained that he'd acted alone. His imprisonment became a rallying point for both monarchists and anarchists, who both held spirited marches and demonstrations, some of which turned violent. Passanante languished in jail for a year before his trial began, but even before the proceedings got underway, the outcome was a bit of a fait accompli. He was found guilty of attempted regicide and sentenced to death. However, after being faced with international pressure, King Umberto himself signed a royal decree lessening the sentence to life in prison. After spending a year behind bars while awaiting trial, Passanante said he would have preferred death. Making matters worse, he wasn't the only one who suffered for his actions. His whole family was also imprisoned in an asylum. Only one brother managed to escape. The consequences eventually rippled even wider. Passanante's hometown in southern Italy was forced to change its name from Salvia to Savoia di Lucania by royal decree. As for Passanante himself, he was jailed in appalling conditions on the island of Elba off the Italian coast. There, he was held in solitary confinement in a tiny, cramped cell in the Linguella Tower. Day and night, he was bound to the wall with a heavy chain. His guards were under strict orders to never speak to him. Under these hopeless circumstances, Passanante slowly went insane. It was said that sailors passing by the tower in their ships heard his rantings and ravings so often that they started to call the building Passanante Tower. As fate would have it, he was later joined there by Pietro Acerito, another would-be assassin of King Umberto's. Tragically, Acerito also lost his mind while serving a life sentence for his crime. By early 1910, Passanante had been evaluated by doctors and moved to the Montelupo Fiorentino Asylum to live out the rest of his days. By contrast, Gaetano Bresci, the assassin who actually succeeded in killing King Umberto in July of 1900, got off easy. Bresci only served one year of his life sentence before dying. Passanante, on the other hand, suffered three decades of physical and mental decline before passing away in February of 1910, just a few days short of his 61st birthday. However, even after his death, the Italian government wasn't done punishing him. After he died, 
Pasinante's skull and brain were removed from his body and preserved in formaldehyde to be studied by sociologists. At the time, there was a popular eugenics theory that criminality was inherited, so scientists were eager to see if they could find any physical traits of Pasinante's which could help identify other potentially violent criminals. In 1998, nearly 90 years after his death, politician Olivero de Liberto wrote legislation to have Pasinante's head and skull buried with his other remains in Savoia di Lucania. However, even after that, it still took another eight years before anything actually happened. Perhaps the Italian government still had sore feelings toward Pasinante, even from beyond the grave. For 70 years, Pasinante's brain was kept on display in Rome's Criminology Museum. Then, in May of 2007, the brain was secretly moved to be buried with the rest of his remains in his hometown of Savoia di Lucania. As for the Italian monarchy, which Pasinante sacrificed his life trying to extinguish, it met its demise in June of 1946. In the aftermath of World War II, royal rule was superseded by the Italian Republic. The outcome Passanante had so desperately wanted came about nearly 70 years after his attempted assassination. Perhaps after all those years, his hot-headed, tortured soul was finally put to rest. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Today in True Crime is a Spotify original from Parcast. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Juan Borda, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Bruce Kitovich. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Nani Okwalagu, with writing assistance by Alex Benedon. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Don't forget to check out Our Love Story, the newest Spotify original from Parcast. Every Tuesday, discover the many pathways to love, as told by the actual couples who found them. Listen to Our Love Story, free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.